Device Week, a podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm executive editor Sean Schmidt. One of the more interesting and important trends in MedTech in recent years is the emergence of robotic-assisted surgery. In fact, if you do have a surgery, the chances are pretty good that a robot is going to be involved. But as robotic surgical procedures increase, so do the chances of something going awry. And when it does, who's to blame? The robot or the surgeon? Senior writer Brian Bosetta, who covers U.S. policy and regulation for MedTech Insight, has been looking into this very question. So, Brian, before we get into this question of liability, give us an overview of robotic-assisted surgery. Well, it represents significant advancements in medical technology. Robotic-assisted surgery was developed to overcome the limitations of traditional surgery and enhance the surgeon's capabilities. Okay, so... Just walk us through this a bit. How does it go about doing that? These robotic systems, which are very complex, allow surgeons to operate with more precision and flexibility. Envision a machine with robotic arms, like a giant spider. And these arms can maneuver 360 degrees, providing a level of dexterity that no surgeon, even the very best, could possibly achieve. At the same time, these systems can magnify the surgeon's field of vision with the high-definition 3D view of the surgical site way beyond the scope of any human eye, allowing the surgeon to access the most remote corners of the human body, which allows more conditions to be treated to greater effect. But even though it's a robot, an actual surgeon, a real person, is obviously still operating the system. Absolutely. Think of the robot as this giant video game operated by the surgeon. And just like us playing a video game at home where moving the joystick or the control buttons translates to the screen in real time, the surgeon does the same thing, albeit with more advanced controls. But it's the same basic idea. The surgeon is operating the robotic arms, which are in turn operating on you. Okay, so what are some benefits to patients having this type of surgery? Essentially better results. And because of the precision, robots make smaller incisions, which means less blood less pain, shorter hospital stays, and quicker recovery time. And what types of surgical procedures are these robots doing? A range of procedures on just about any part of the human body, from head, neck, and heart surgeries to colorectal, gynecological, urological, orthopedic, and general surgeries. And I would assume that robots are becoming more routine in ORs. Yes. According to a 2020 study published in JAMA Open Network, Robotic surgery increased from just 1.8% in 2012 to 15% in 2018. So a big jump. And even bigger when you look at specific procedures. That same study showed inguinal hernia repair went up from under 1% in 2012 to nearly 29% in 2018. Uh, Ventral hernia repair, uh, colectomy, reflux surgery, and proctectomy also had similar gains. So... It seems this is the way surgery is going. That seems to be the trend the JAMA study found. In fact, the study's authors concluded that hospitals that introduced robotic surgery programs saw an immediate increase in their use. Okay, so back to the original question. What happens when these robotic devices fail? Who's to blame? Brooklyn Law School professor Frank Pasquale, who wrote a book on the topic, published a piece in the Brookings Institution's tech stream in which he says that getting this question of liability right is important not only for patient rights, but also to provide proper incentives for the political economy of innovation 
and the medical labor market. And it's probably worth pointing out that the market for global robotic surgery is quite valuable, right? Indeed. As high as $4.5 billion by some estimates. So a lot at stake all around. No doubt. But when it comes to the question of liability, it must be tricky determining who exactly is liable. It is. Pasquale offers an example of a traditional surgery in which a surgeon slips, cutting a vital tendon with a scalpel. In that case, it's pretty clear. But what if that same surgeon is using a robotic device designed and marketed with a special component to avoid such a mistake? Yeah, then it's not so clear. No, it's not. In this scenario, Pasquale argues there could be a shared liability, a sliding scale based on an apportionment of responsibility. But for courts to justly determine how these allocations of liability are meted out on such a scale, Pasquale says courts need a clear legal theory to guide them. And does such a theory exist? Well, there are some principles in place. I spoke to Victor Schwartz, a legal scholar and co-author of one of the most widely used casebooks on tort law. And he said there's a longstanding precedent that predates robots concerning malpractice, which is basically the idea that a doctor is supposed to act as if he or she is a reasonable doctor trying everything they can to provide the very best care that they can. And that would apply to a robotic surgery. Yes. So long as that surgeon did everything within this reasonable standard of care, in other words, used all care in selecting the device and in using the device. If so, then if something should go wrong during that surgery, it would be difficult finding that surgeon guilty of malpractice. But what if the surgeon didn't use all reasonable care? Of course, that would be a different scenario. But according to Schwartz, that's a tough sell. Why is that? He says winning lawsuits against doctors is difficult because jurors, for the most part, empathize with doctors. They relate to them on a human level, whereas device makers do not evoke the same personal response. Juries tend to see devices and product liability as something that's cold. Yeah, I can understand that. But that doesn't mean, however, that winning a a judgment against a device manufacturer is easy. Did Schwartz offer a scenario for winning against a device maker? The clearest path is if the plaintiff can show a manufacturing defect, that the device in question didn't work the way it was supposed to. Something perhaps like a faulty wire? Exactly. So if the plaintiff can show such a defect and then show that defect caused harm, then they have a strong hand, right? Yes, very strong. In fact, at that point, proving negligence isn't even necessary. Why is that? All you have to show, according to Schwartz, is that it was not manufactured in accordance with the design of the manufacturer's own specifications, and it failed. So that can pertain to an individual robot that might be faulty and not necessarily an entire robotic system. Correct. Pasquale refers to it as strict liability standard. Which is what exactly? He points to the standard when the manufacturer, distributor, and retailer of the product may be liable, even if they were not negligent. In other words, even a system that was well-designed and implemented may still bear responsibility for error. Wow, so that's a pretty harsh standard for device manufacturers. Perhaps, but Pasquale argues this standard provides an incentive for innovation. How so? Because it pushes engineers and designers to go even further in improving their technology and systems. And is that to try to make them as foolproof as possible? 
That's right. He also argues that a strict liability standard might serve as a deterrent to prematurely automating medical fields of practice at the expense of human expertise. Because we still need people operating these machines. (laughs) At least for now. Um, But yes, I, I don't think anyone wants to rely solely on computers for something as serious as surgery, no matter how advanced the technology. And that could apply to a lot of industries. I don't think anyone would fly in a plane without an actual human in the cockpit. <laughs> no doubt. And this point on human supervision relates to the other factor crucial in malpractice specific to robots. What's that? Training. Even the most experienced surgeons can't just jump behind one of these robots and begin operating. These instruments are extraordinarily complex and require tremendous skill. As Schwartz put it, it would be easier to learn how to fly a jet than use some of these robots. So the level of training or lack of that a surgeon had or didn't have on the robotic system could play a role in the lawsuit. Absolutely. The question of training is one of the first things Schwartz said he would raise if he was going after a device maker. Did the manufacturer have the right teachers? What were their qualifications? Was the training rushed? Was the doctor able to train with the device on an accurate replica of the human body? And similar to proving a defect, if the plaintiff can show improper training... Bingo. So as robots become more widely used, we could see as much activity in the courtroom as we do in the operating room. We certainly could. Interesting stuff. We'll be watching. Thanks for that report, Brian. And that wraps up this week's Device Week podcast. Head on over to MedTechInsight.com to find Brian's reporting on this topic. And while you're at MedTechInsight.com, check out all the latest medical device policy and regulation news and analysis. And always remember, you can find us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. Until next time, thanks for listening. 